0: Our scripture reading this morning comes from 1 Timothy, chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. 1 Timothy, chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. The saint is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.
1: Good morning, so glad that you have chosen to be here today, thankful for this opportunity we have to come together and to spend time in God's Word, spend time praising Him. Uh, We are very, very blessed. I also want you to, uh, as was prayed for just a few moments ago, know that in a couple of weeks uh, we're going to have an opportunity for you to submit names uh, for men to be elders. How to do that has been in the bulletin and in the announcement uh, sheet, but what we want you to do is be praying about that. Be praying about it every day, praying about the, the men who will step up to, to serve us, and it's not just stepping up, it is being willing to kneel down in service and bow down before Christ and submit to Him. Please be praying about that each day as we, uh, we work closer to that. And also, uh, this week is one of my favorite weeks of the year, it's, the, it's a week of Horizons at Freed Hardman University. Horizons is sort of like a church camp, but it takes place on the Free Hardman campus. So it's church camp with air conditioning. Okay, that's sort of how it works. I believe uh, the capacity is 976 teenagers, and that's how many they expect. I know they always have a waiting list every year. And uh, I've been on staff there for pretty close to 20 years, and I'm thankful to be going this week. Uh, We have a few of our teens who are going. I'm thankful for them going. Also, uh, tonight's going to be neat because I get to drive all the way to Henderson to hear Philip Jenkins speak. It's going to be amazing. Could have done that here, you know. Um, But no, Philip has been chosen to speak tonight, uh, and I know he will bless them. And Sam Boyd, one of our interns, will do a fantastic job here. Please pray for us this week as we travel, not just for the travel. But pray that God will do some amazing things. It is awesome to see what happens when you get nearly a thousand teenagers together who want to serve God. And to see God work through them. I pray that you will you will uh, pray for us this week. I think it will make a, a huge difference as we go before God. And before we begin this morning, let's go before God together. Our Heavenly Father, you are you're amazing. God, we, we see your love and your kindness and your power and your mercy. and Lord, when we see ourselves, it is humbling and overwhelming to know that you love us that much. Lord, help us this week to have good vision, to be able to see ourselves the way you would have us to, and that will begin when we see you the way we should. Our Heavenly Father, help us today to want to be more and more like you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. If I were to ask you a question, uh, who's the worst person that's ever lived? How would you answer that? There's actually polls on that. It's interesting when you go through and look at that, and can I tell you, most of them uh, end up being world leaders. That's who you see show up on these polls because um, that is who you... uh, I guess, would think of on a worldwide basis. One was Stalin. It is said that he killed somewhere between 6 and 20 million people. And amazing, that's a pretty wide gap. And, and part of it was through violence. Part of it was through starving people to death. Trying to carry out Marxism and different things that would that would lead to to people being very, very hungry. And you see that, that he was able to do that. So I'm going to tell you, on every list, he's on it. Also, uh, Idi Amin, if you haven't read about him, it's, it's not fun reading. Relies his rule in Uganda, it says he, he killed half a million people out of a 12 million people country. And he, uh, the way he acted, everything else is pretty amazing when you look that people would be fearful of him and, and you could understand why most people and at the head of most lists is Adolf Hitler. You you can imagine that. I mean, that's not a big big secret. And to try to figure out how many people he was responsible for killing in this world, uh it's really really tough because we we hear the term 6 million Jews, have to realize that he killed a lot more than just Jews. Those numbers get up to 18 to 20 million. But in World War 2, It is estimated between 70 and 85 million people died during World War II total. That means 3% of the population of the world died because of and stopping this person. See, it's amazing that his his name would come up and be the first on a lot of people's list. You have to say, Craig, uh, is he the one who's killed the most? I'm going to tell you, Chairman Mao, his number is about 45 million. In his utopian society that he wanted to set up, people would starve to death and children would be killed. It was a capital offense to steal an ear of corn. And he carried it out. He set up an economic system that starved people and then punished people for trying to eat. It's, it's amazing. He did violence and everything else. We, we can go back further. We can go back to when Jesus was born and talk about Herod who, who decided and being fearful, what did he want to do? He wanted to have all the, the children under two years old killed. That's pretty evil. I don't know about that. that that's very evil to me. Uh, we could talk about, we could start going through the, the Roman Caesars and go through them and all the different things. The thing is, if we were to ask this question according to Scripture, what would the answer be? We want to be Bible people and do Bible things in Bible ways and look there. And, and if you will, let's think about who the worst is. Open your Bible to first Timothy. First Timothy chapter 1, remember this book is a book written from Paul to Timothy, encouraging Timothy to go to Ephesus and to do what? To go there and to teach the people there. And here's how Paul answers this question. And In 1 Timothy 1 verse 15, he says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. I don't know what your version says. Your version may say uh, that I am the chief of sinners. Some versions say that I am the worst. And he says, I'm the foremost. Are you shocked by that statement? I mean, surely there were more people who, who killed more people than Paul did during that time. And, and I think we could go through and find people in history up to that point who had been very, very evil people, Herod being one of them. Whoever was Caesar that time being, being one of them. But Paul says from, from his perspective that he is the worst sinner he knows. What was he guilty of? Well, when we looked at that list earlier, of people who were, we would consider to be pretty evil. A lot of that was genocide. In other words, they decided to take an entire people. Paul was doing the same thing on a smaller scale. Paul was doing what? He was persecuting Christians and, and putting them to death. And, and that's what he says. He said, verse 13, he says, even though I was once a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. He starts out saying, I'm a blasphemer. What does he even mean by that? He's saying, I did not acknowledge Jesus as the Son of God. And guess what? Under Jewish law, he would have been killed. Blasphemy was a capital offense. Did he know he was a blasphemer? Not until he saw Jesus, he didn't. He thought he was doing everything right said, I was a persecutor. He was somebody who persecuted Christ. He said, also, some of your versions may say that, that he was an insolent man. Some may say he was a violent aggressor. He was a murderer. He used violence to get his way. And, and, and Paul looks at this, and Paul says, I am the chief of sinners. I love what he says formally. He said, before Christ, this is who I was. What changed? What changed was he saw Jesus. And in truly seeing Jesus, he saw himself. We we know, we read about his conversion story in in the book of Acts. We go through that a bright light shone to him. Jesus through that light, shone to him, and and says, told Paul to, to quit persecuting him. Why are you persecuting me? He he asked him that question, told him to go to the street that's called straight. And when that moment, as Paul looks and realizes that he has killed the Messiah, when he sees clearly who Jesus is, he sees himself clearly. And the truth that goes from being really fuzzy to being really clear. He goes, I'm the worst sinner I know. In the presence of Jesus, he didn't care about anybody else's sin. He didn't look around and go, wow, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty bad, but that person over there is really bad. When he measured himself up against Christ, he saw his sinfulness. He also saw the beautiful truth that what? Christ came to save sinners. That's an incredible thing, right? If I'm a sinner, it means I have a problem. I need to be saved, and he saw that he needed a Savior, and that Savior was Jesus. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Why does that matter? Why does it matter what Paul thought about himself today as we meet here in Mount Juliet a couple thousand years later? Why, Why does that matter to us. Last week in our lesson, we talked about why did, why was it that Paul sent Timothy to Ephesus to teach them the truth? It's because Ephesus needs a healthy church. And can I tell you, as we, we talked about in our lesson last week, Mount Juliet needs a healthy church. Last week, we spent time that a healthy church is a church that has healthy teaching. Healthy teaching brings about life. And not only do we need a church that has healthy teaching, we need to be a church that has a healthy vision of Jesus and who He is. Because if we will understand that, it will change everything about us. It will change everything about our community. Once we as individuals understand that we are the worst sinners we know, then it changes our lives drastically. It is something that that makes a huge huge difference. And for us to see the difference this makes in the future, I want us to look backwards at these verses. We'll go back to verse 12. Paul later again says in 15 that I am the chief of sinners, 15 and following, I'm the worst of all sinners. Let's look at what he says his life looks like now that he realizes that. Let's begin reading in verse 12. He said, I thank him who had given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithfully, appointing me into his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in an unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. That truth that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and Paul says that I'm the the worst of sinners, well, we see that he was someone who was very, very thankful. A man by the name of Tim Keller said this. He said, we will only fully grasp the gospel when we understand, as Paul did, that we're the worst sinner we know. In studying for this, it's interesting. This this was a, a popular thing to say back in the 60s and 70s to preach this. Then it became unpopular. Preachers said, we don't want to tell people they're the worst sinner they know because it may make them think bad about themselves. It might hurt their feelings. How in the world is it that Paul is the one who said this about himself and what he got from that that Christ came in to save him, the sinner, and he believed he was the worst sinner there was. He talked about his sins. How did it make a difference in his life? One, he became a very thankful person. I thank Jesus Christ our Lord. Wouldn't you believe that? If you saw yourself, it's not just moderately sinful or mildly sinful. Because what happens is when it comes to sinfulness, instead of comparing myself to Christ, I like to compare myself to somebody that knows worse than I am. See, I, I think that's it. I, I laugh. I'm, you know, My little boy's still making it uh, great. Um, um, before I was married, when I was looking for someone, I remember saying, hey, if you marry me, you'll always be skinny. I thought that was pretty good. I thought that was pretty good. You'll always look better looking. By comparison, you're standing by me. You're automatically going to be skinnier and better looking. I, I thought that was a pretty good calling card. I thought that was really, really good. And we do the same thing with sin. We don't see ourselves as that sinful. Why? Because we, we can turn on the TV and see what really sinful looks like. And as long as we don't see ourselves as that sinful, we will never, ever, 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 ever appreciate the blood of Christ taking our sins away. Because what we really think is, I didn't really need him, but I'm kind of glad I have him. How many sins does it take to make you a sinner? Just one. How many sins do you have to commit before you are lost? Just one. How many of us in here are able to save ourselves? not a one. Jesus is our Savior. He says, I thank Jesus my Lord. When we realize what he has done for us, it makes us very thankful people. We sang earlier, count your many blessings, name them one by one. It's interesting, I didn't tell Philip to lead that song. He just chose it. But isn't it funny when we ask people to, to count our blessings, especially when we do Thanksgiving and we, and we do that you know, and, and go around. I have been at people's homes where they go around and say something they're thankful for. Many times when we count our blessings, what do we talk about? We talk about we're thankful for our food, we're thankful for our homes, we're thankful for, for our clothing, for the, we're, we're thankful for our money, we're thankful for our jobs, we're thankful for our stuff. When is the last time you were truly thankful for Jesus saving your soul? For Jesus leaving heaven and coming to earth and dying on a cross, someone who was guilty of zero sin, had never ever committed a sin, came so that we might be forgiven. What should be the response to our thankfulness? It should lead us to worship. See, if if we got this, the people who are Christians, you wouldn't have any problem motivating them to be here to worship God together. Zero. We have to do two services on Sunday nights if we got it. If we got it, if we really really understood that the that, that Him saving our soul, that we are sinful and without Him we would be lost and we would spend an eternity in hell, that without Him we would, we would not have the salvation. He came to save sinners. We would be thankful and it would lead us to worship and, and it also would lead us to praise Him. So that's how Paul ends up the, this little thing here with a little bit of a prayer and, and sort of a doxology to God where he says, To the King of all ages, immortal, invisible, we be honor and glory forever and ever, Amen. The only God there. In First 1 Timothy 1.17. he does, after he goes through this, he praises God for his what? For his love, because when you realize what he has done, that is the correct response. Is praise. See, when we realize that we are the worst sinners we know, I personally am the worst sinner I know. When I realize that and what Christ has done for me, it'll lead me to thankfulness. Secondly, it'll remind me of the mission I'm supposed to be on. Set my life to service. See, Paul says, I I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. We as men and women should be on missions for God. I love the trip that we're taking last week the guy's trip and the girl's trip, chisel and sculpt, where they traveled and they met with, with Christians and, and went around and talked to them about how God uses them in their lives to make a difference in this world. I think it's an incredible trip. Something that that, that that Philip does for our senior high here and I, I'm so thankful for that, that that they get to go when they get to see these things. Thankful for our, our girls' interns who who take this and the girls get to see this. The guys see this. What when people have a mission and realize that we are on a mission from God in this world, and Paul says, I have been saved to serve What's the lesson? But Paul says, here's why Jesus saved me, to show the world that if God can save Paul, he can save anyone. And also, if God can use Paul, he can use anyone. So many times, I think when it comes to serving, we do not feel that we are equipped. We do not feel that we have the ability. We do not feel that we can do that. And we can come up with a whole list of excuses, very similar to Moses' when God wanted him to lead the people out of Egypt. We come up with a whole list of excuses, and, and Paul says there are no more excuses. Why? Because if God can save me, he can save anyone, and if God can use me, God can use anyone. When you look around, are there people that you know need Jesus, but you don't think that Jesus is big enough to save them? Prejudge evangelism. I think I do sometimes. You look at someone and you go, "Man, I don't think that person would ever come to Christ." That person is too this, or too this, or too this. I, I you may say that person is too arrogant. That person is too sinful. That person is too much the opposite of what Christ wants them to be. And Paul said there was not a more arrogant person than me. There was not a more opposite person to me. And the fact that Jesus Christ, me seeing him clearly, can change my life this much means he can change everyone's. I don't know what excuse it is that, that you come up with, at times I come up with also, to keep us from being on a mission. Many times we feel we, can't, we don't talk well enough, that we don't know enough, that that we're scared, whatever the thing may be. The verse says he thanks God who did what? Gave him strength. Here's what's awesome. Paul talks about that a lot. Paul talks about that in, 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 uh, I'll come back to that. In 2 Timothy 4, 17, it says, but the Lord stood with me and gave me strength. What's everybody's favorite verse? Philippians 4, 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. you realize that God will not give you a job that he will not equip you for. God will not give you something to do that he will not equip you for. I promise you, he can strengthen you to enable you to be able to do what? To tell people about Jesus. To tell people. It starts with telling people what Christ has done for you. That's what Jesus told the the, the demoniac. In Mark chapter 5, remember Jesus gets off the boat, there's a, there's a man who is unclothed with chains, who is is uh, who who is uh, filled with demons, possessed by demons, who comes up to him and Jesus heals him and after he heals him, the, the demoniac wanted to, former demoniac, sorry, he's no longer one once they're gone, okay, they've all uh, got into pigs and went flying, okay, that's what happened, short version. Um, and, Jesus gets on the boat to leave, and the guy comes, and he said, I'm going with you. He said, no, 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 no. He said, you go tell what the Lord has done for you. What did Paul do in this verse? I was the chief of sinners. I was formerly this. But Jesus. But Jesus. He can give you the strength that you need. He says he's chosen him, appointed him. He's given him strength, and he's given him a mission. What if you realized wherever you are, perhaps that's where God wants you to make a difference for him. Wherever you work, wherever you eat lunch today, wherever it is that, that you play sports, wherever it is that your group of friends, where, your school, wherever it is, that God has appointed you and he's given you the strength to fulfill his mission there, which is what? That people know who Jesus is and that he loves them and he can take away their sin. See, Paul's not finished. He, he doesn't just say, I'm thankful because of this. He doesn't just say that, that I have a mission because of this. He, he says, you know what, the reason this is possible and the reason he can, can go on and on and on is because of God's great grace and mercy. See, then though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, but I received mercy because I acted in, in ignorantly and in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. What made this possible? The overflowing grace and love of Christ and Paul's response to that grace and love, which is what? Faith. See, grace and mercy are words that that we use quite a bit and and sometimes are hard to define and I know that um, preachers have acrostics for everything, but can I tell you the way I remember grace and mercy is this grace is getting something you don't deserve that's good mercy is not getting what you do deserve you ever got a speeding ticket and going to court there's a front row i don't run up here um i will get you for speeding just kidding um Can you imagine going to court and you are guilty? Mercy is the judge saying, I know you're guilty. We're going to let this go. Grace is saying you are guilty and there's a $3,000 fine because you're reckless driving and, and all these other things, but I'm actually going to pay your fine for you. Mercy is withholding the punishment you deserve. Grace is giving you a gift instead of punishment. What an amazing thought from God. And that's what Paul says. God's grace and His mercy, they did what? They overflowed. See, if I'm the the worst sinner, I need grace and mercy to overflow. I can't just have a little bit. I can't just have a little bit. I can't just have a, a little bit on a wash rag that you can't even wr- wring out. and just have. I have to have something that overflows continually because I realize my sinfulness and realize how much Christ has given and paid for those sins to be taken away. A writer by the name of Paul Tillich says this. He says, Sometimes at that moment in despair, a wave of light breaks into darkness as in it, as it were as though it were a voice saying, you're accepted, you're accepted, you're accepted by what is greater than you. Can you think Paul hearing this on the road to Damascus to realize that he has just been told the people that you were persecuting were actually God's people. You're a murderer, you're someone who is hurting the Messiah, you're hurting God, but I'm going to use you. You're exactly who we need to make a difference in this world. John Newton, toward the end of his life, he said, Even though my memory fails me, I'm still certain of two things that I'm a great sinner and Christ is a great Savior. And and when we see this, it makes a difference because as Paul goes through and he says, You know what? Christ came into this world to do what? To save sinners of whom I am the worst. It's so very important that we have a healthy vision. And when we realize what He has done for us, the price He has paid for us, and also our own sinfulness, we should be incredibly thankful. And that thankfulness should lead us to to worship. It should lead us to serve and to be on a mission. It should be someone who has a constant appreciation and lives with confidence under the grace and mercy overflowing. This morning, do you see yourself as a great sinner? There are people who refuse to come to Christ because they believe they have done too much. There's no way God can forgive them. There are those who who hold back and and are concerned, and they're like, you know what, there's no way, because if if God truly knew what I did, He knows. That's why He sent a great Savior. A great Savior who who wants to save you and and, and wants to make a difference. And and the thing is, we must see Him as such, and if we're going to be a healthy congregation, we must realize our own sinfulness the great price that's been paid, and the mission we must be on. And realize what an amazing God, and realize that Jesus is the Savior that we need. This morning, do you need Him to save you? Do you need Him to take your sins away? Today would be an incredible day for you to confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, to to name Him as Lord, to be baptized from this of your sins. There's nothing greater you can do today than that. Or maybe today you want this church family to pray with you and for you. It may be today that you want to confess sin and say, you know what, even though I'm a Christian and I know that Jesus has taken my sins away, that I have not really seen myself very well, and that's led to a life of laziness a life where I I really didn't want to make a big difference, that I I looked at others as as way more sinful, and I didn't see my own need. And because of that, I haven't been thankful. I haven't been someone who worships, someone who serves. Jesus is the Savior we need. He's the Savior that wants you. This morning, if you need Him to be your Savior, would you come now while we stand and while we stand?